Hello and welcome to Should I Stay or Should I Go? The podcast providing you with expert career insight and advice from senior people in the fields of insurance and risk management to help you make the right career decisions. Hosted by founder and managing partner of Key Strategies LLC, Mike Tenenbaum. Featuring interviews with those at the top of their game, each podcast explores topical issues coupled with specialist guidance on making your next move in the corporate risk management, insurance brokerage, and the insurance carrier sectors. A seasoned recruiter, Mike Tenenbaum has over 30 years of experience in sourcing top insurance and risk management talent for world-class Fortune 500 companies throughout the US. This experience makes your host the perfect person to kickstart the conversations that will give you the wisdom you need to decide, should I stay or should I go? Before we begin with today's segment, I'd like to introduce our new sponsor. Hi, this is Patrick O'Neill, founder of Red Hand Advisors, a risk management technology consulting and advisory firm. We help Fortune 1000 clients understand their risk technology needs and then identify and optimize the best solutions. Recently, a client asked us to help them replace their current risk management information system. This is a very common request. During our initial analysis, we discovered that while their current system was not meeting their needs, it wasn't for a lack of capabilities. We learned that during the implementation, lower priority items were deferred until after the implementation and never revisited. Additionally, and a more common issue we see, is that their priorities had changed over time, but the system had not changed to meet these new priorities. And finally, we identified new features of the system that were not currently being utilized. I am joined this morning by uh, Stacy Regan, who is currently heading up the uh, insurance group at GE. Stacy, welcome to the show. Good morning, Mike. Nice to be here. Great to have you, Stacy. Um, we've known each other a long time, and uh, we've done uh, a lot of good things together. And I've been really, really looking forward to having you on the show because I know you have a lot of really interesting perspectives to share with our listeners. So I thought we'd just get right into it and uh, really kind of jump into maybe how you got your start in the field. I would say I maybe got my start unintentionally. You know, when I was in college, I had visions of being a stockbroker until I realized that you had to make enough money on commission to afford expensive apartments and, you know, ended up pursuing training program in insurance, which I had never really thought of when I was studying finance in college. But, you know, it's turned out to be really an amazing journey and something I never would have expected and found that the insurance industry actually can provide a very dynamic career. That's interesting. I I bet what you thought the career would look like compared to what it actually is, is probably quite different. Absolutely. I had no idea sort of the broad landscape of opportunities that you could pursue within, you know, insurance risk management, having not really understood insurance until, you know, starting in in an underwriting role out of college. But, you know, as uh, new opportunities arose and I chose, you know, different paths along the way, started to realize that there's, you know, an incredibly broad field of, of areas that you can learn and, and contribute to. Yeah, no, no question. No question. And then, you know, when you think about your view of insurance from an underwriting perspective versus now, you know, you're on the client side and, and what that's like, that must be quite a difference. Um, it, it is very different. It's actually, I think, a great way to develop your career is to work in areas that have 
different perspectives, even possibly contradictory views on things, because you just really start to understand how people that you're working with think differently than you. And it can help you think things through better or maybe appreciate issues that you might not otherwise appreciate. And I think that helps facilitate the process. Yeah, no question. You know, on the client side, it seems that you're getting a, a totally different vantage point of the business that you're insuring. Yes. Um, and you think about the information that you provide to the underwriters and, and how the underwriter views that. Um, I would imagine that starting as an underwriter is, uh, would have been a very good training ground for that role. I think so. I, I think I always put myself in the underwriter's shoes as I think about the company and the types of things that they need to know or you know would be helpful to, for them to understand and how they might process that and to be sensitive to to what their needs are to do their job and and so to make it you know successful interaction I think it's been really helpful great great so you know I guess I'm uh, curious to get your views on you know what risk management really is from your perspective you know every time I talk to someone they have they have their own spin on on how they view risk management and how they apply it but what's it look like to you yes it's really about understanding risk and reward trade-offs you know, I think a lot of times people assume risk management means that you say no a lot. And my view is usually it should be at worst, no, but right. There's, you, you need to be a business partner with your company and your colleagues and to try to find a way to, to do business in an environment where you can be successful in the long run. And so you really need to be open-minded and feel like you have some ownership in in the resolution of something and that you're contributing to how the company can move forward. Yeah, so it sounds like you're you're describing the role of a consultant to some extent. Yeah, in a lot of ways, you know, I'd say there's always a healthy tension with things within any role that you have, but we often look at our role is, is consulting in the sense of helping inform people to make better decisions. There will be decisions that my team and I need to make within kind of the scope of our responsibility, but also I think a, you know an equally important role we serve is to help influence and inform others in the businesses to enable them to make the best decisions that they can make. If I'm hearing you correctly, the key to your success as a risk manager, at least in your environment there, has been to really put decision makers in a position where you know they're making better risk-adjusted decisions. Is that what you would say? Absolutely. It's, it's helping. And you know, sometimes it's bringing the external world internally to help folks understand that the types of things that can be, happen, the way we might want to deal with things things we might not necessarily have gone through or, or been aware of, but they still exist out there. And to kind of help them go through the thought process and oftentimes to develop controls to make sure that the right people are making the right decisions at the right time. That all makes sense. So I'm just wondering, so for those people who are on their way up in their career, what skills and experience should they really be focused on developing if they want to one day be in, in your shoes? You know, I, I always say, um, you know, if you, you see a good crisis, run to it, not from it. I, I do feel like times in my career when I've learned the most has been when things were very challenging and you had to think deep and be really thoughtful and 
and act, you know, oftentimes in moments when you weren't necessarily prepared for it. And I think it really helps you build confidence and, and perspective. And so, uh, you know, I know as you're, as you're moving up the career ladder, you're not going to be the necessarily the leader uh, in, a, in a crisis. But I think being involved in it and finding ways to contribute is really helpful. I think you'll develop more skill sets than you realize until you look back. Yeah, I'm just thinking that, you know, when you're on your way up and there's some crisis going on and, and you're going to now be relied upon to play a role in, the, in creating the solution, you know, I, I can see if it was me, you know, I'd first have to take a couple of deep breaths and say, okay, we can, we can do this. I haven't seen this before, but, you know, um, we're going to have to figure it out. And then you just, you know, have the confidence to allow yourself the opportunity to, to figure it out. Yes. You know, a lot of it can be dictated by your environment, but I think, you know, trying for all the right reasons and even failing is better than not trying at all. I mean, if you sit on the sidelines, somebody else will raise their hand. So, so what you're saying is you have to look for the opportunity to get yourself involved in the solution. I think so. I mean, I don't think you should just rely on what's asked of you, even if it's not a moment of crisis. If there are other areas of interest or opportunity that you see, I would always encourage folks to raise their hand and say, hey, can I be involved in this? It doesn't have to initially be in a leadership role, but you can always be a very strong contributor to a team. I think people appreciate you know, when, when folks are looking for ways that to understand how their contributions are valued within the company and that they're aligned with what the company needs. Yeah, and and also just to be recognized for the value that they're bringing. If you're sitting on the sidelines and things are happening around you, I think your value is going to be diminished. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think more and more as companies, you know, evolve in today's world, it's it's not so much that I'm doing my job, it's about understanding how do I connect what I do to what the company needs. And and understanding where you can be impactful and how impactful you can be. Yeah, no, that's a really good point because I think there are a lot of people on their way up who will look at their job description and they'll say, okay, well, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So I'm going to focus on what I'm supposed to do. And I'm not going to really think about things that are not in my job description. And what you're saying contrasts with that because what you're, what you're really advocating is someone who thinks beyond their job description. Absolutely. I mean, I would always kind of step back and say, why am I even here? Right. I mean, you kind of have to earn your seat at the table and understand it's not just that you're doing a job. It's that you're you're doing something that matters and to make sure that what you're doing is aligned with with the company's objectives and values and that somehow you're contributing to the company getting over the goal line. Otherwise, not sure why a company would pay you to just kind of sit in a silo and, and do something that might not matter. Yeah, well, they, they might pay you to do something like that, but they're not going to pay you well. And you're not going <laughs> to be valued. Right. And, and you probably, you know, and, and everybody wants to be valued and everyone wants to feel like they're part of the solution. Yes, no question. And, you know, that really keys in on, you know, people today, especially talk about, you know, being valued and respected and they want to feel like they're making a difference and they want, they want to work for companies where their companies are making a difference as well. Right. So, so it's all tied together. So this sort of rolls right into, you know, as a hiring manager, you've hired a bunch of people over the years. What do you look for in a candidate when you're hiring for your team? You, you know, I would say the 
and this might just be my personal preference, but the one quality that I really respond to and, and, and kind of enjoy and embrace is curiosity. I think that when you're coming into a role, you really want to be a bit of a sponge and try to understand, you know, how do things work? How can I learn more? How can I contribute? How can we do things differently and better? So somebody that you know is curious, somebody that wants to make a mark, that wants to leave the role and and the company in a better place than when than before they started, you know, and somebody that also has, and and this is always table stakes, but you know, the utmost integrity. That's critically important to me personally and to the company with its value system. And I think, you know, people don't realize that when they take on a role, they're representing the company, they're the face of the company to, to others, to the marketplace. And that it's critically important that the folks that are representing you reflect the values that you have as a company. Yeah, that's a really great point because I myself have dealt with many people that I, 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 when I see how they negotiate on behalf of either their company or themselves even, there's a lot to be desired. And I'm sure they're not thinking about it in that perspective. Yeah, I think it's really important. One of the things that you know I had focused on when I came into my role role early on is is what should our brand be in the marketplace? And then you can say whatever you want. It's you have to walk the talk. You know what what is what should your brand be, and how do you act to make sure that you're constantly reinforcing that brand? Yeah, no, the whole branding concept is huge. I think, and it also I, I think would lead me to believe that you're really viewing this as a partnership when you're interacting with your vendors, for example. A hundred percent. I mean, we very much look at long-term collaborative partnerships. You know, it's no different to me, whether you're meeting with folks inside the company or outside, you're, you're meeting with people because you, you respect them because they, you can work together to make progress on something and that they have something to, to contribute. And they can, they very well may have great ideas that challenge how you're thinking. One of the things we always try to do in all of our relationships and our environment is to try to try to make sure we've got folks that disagree with us and challenge our thinking so that we can always come out to a better place. And, you know, this, I, I presume there's a whole way to do something like that. I mean, you know, there are people who feel like, you know, it's their way or the highway. I would see that more from hiring managers who are like, look, this is what I want. So bring me this and don't talk to me about somebody if they're not in this box. Mm-hmm. You and I have never had those kinds of conversations. <laughs> I was say, Mike, you've always given me good challenges. Yes. Yes. I, you know, uh, I'm, uh, I'm the epitome of challenge <laughs> when it comes to hiring and, and, and thinking about these things. But, you know, I mean, it, it takes, it takes two to tango here and we challenge each other. And I think you get the most out of people when you give them the opportunity to, to have their own thoughts and their own ideas. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I, I look, I, I've always, Fell and it's never been a problem for me within GE, but I've always felt I never wanted to be the smartest one in the room because I feel like then you stop learning. Right? So surround yourself by smart people and, and let them go. So it begs the question then, as a candidate, you want to come off like you are a really smart, capable person, but yet you still have to show that you're willing to learn 
and that you have things to learn. So how do you how do you do that? How do you show that as a candidate and 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 how do you deal with that? Well, I guess it would be if sharing examples of experiences where you've maybe learned something from someone that you realize, you know, down the road, because at least you realize it, right? Or how you come to decisions, how you might draw from different perspectives or challenge yourself, or how you continue to try to have new learning experiences or, or just to reach out and, and learn on your own and study things to continue to learn. I think it's it's just a continuation of how do you continue to take external you know reactions and, and ideas and evolve. Yeah, no, it's that's all true. And I think also it has to do with how you describe your experience. If you're a hiring manager and you're trying to determine what kind of a candidate you have, yeah, they're going to talk about their accomplishments and they're going to talk about you know some of the great things that they've done. But if you need someone who is going to be curious and going to be always looking to learn, that's a little trickier to determine as an interviewer. It is, although sometimes it comes right out when the candidate turns around and starts interviewing me. Interesting. So, um, so someone who's asking you a lot of questions as well. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I've always looked at the interview process as, you know, a, a complete give and take, right? The candidate has just as my, just as much right to learn about what the opportunity is and, and if it's the right opportunity and how they might be able to contribute as, as the person interviewing them. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. I mean, there's always, you know, there's a trick to doing all of these things in terms of when's the right time to be asking your questions and what's the best way to get the information you're looking for and what information is appropriate to be looking for and when, you know, but I think that the best interviews that I hear about are really more conversational and they're more interactive as opposed to just a straight Q&A. Absolutely. I think it's, I mean, to your point, you know, you have to think ahead and be prepared, but there's a certain level of formality that I think can can kill the value of an interview. Yeah. No, if it is too stiff, if it feels too stiff, then it, it's probably not a good interview. You know, you've hired a lot of really bright, highly capable, inquisitive people over the years. What's the What's the key to managing such people? I mean, that, that can be a challenge. And, and I am like incredibly fortunate and honored to have been able to work with some really great people that have made our, the department better and, and made me better. And, you know, I think maybe one of the things that's really helped facilitate that over the years is I've just always felt in GE, you know, there was always a culture of get the right thing done and don't be insecure about it. Right. So, to me, I translate that as, you know, don't worry about my role. My role is not to have all the successes and have all the credit. My role is to contribute to the company. And doing that is, is really through the people that are part of the department and to understand their strengths, uh, to challenge them and give them opportunities where they might have weaknesses so that they can grow. And, you know, frankly, w- with the caliber of folks I've been fortunate enough to work with, it's really a matter of making sure they have the resources that they need to be as successful as they can be and then get out of the way. What you're saying is you're, um, you're really looking to enable your team. Absolutely. I mean, they're always going to be more effective, frankly, because of their drive. If I'm not micromanaging them, that they understand 
what the targets are and they understand they have support, but that they also have the ability to, you know, be creative and to work hard and to be able to accomplish things. And it's a great reflection on them and on the department. No, absolutely. There's all kinds of ways to supervise people and manage them and, and get productivity out of them. And, and I think that the stories I hear about, you know, obviously I don't, I don't hear a lot of the good stories. I only hear the bad stories from people when they call me. But the things that people are unhappy about is when they are micromanaged and maybe when they're given assignments, but you know, they don't really understand the big picture and how everything fits. And and they're just told, you know, I need this by five o'clock, you know, get this done for me. Yeah, that's the area I've always felt really strongly about and spent a lot of time in is if if you if you're working with a smart, capable person, they're going to be way more effective if they can make their own informed decisions. And so to me, it's always been about helping them understand context and perspectives, including them in in meetings and discussions that in many times they're not even actually a contributing member of, but they're hearing things, they're learning for themselves, they're smart. They're gonna be able to go back and apply that to the things that they need to do. And I think they'll just achieve a lot more than if they're given a very narrow mandate on what to deliver. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. I guess I'm thinking also about, you know, from your perspective now, you're in a senior role, you interact with senior people on a regular basis. What does it take to interact successfully with the C-suite at GE? Well, you know, in many instances, I'm sure it's the same as in most C-suites, and that is that you, you need to be very prepared. You need to be very articulate in your very short window in terms of, of conveying something that you're, uh, you know, trying to move forward. And I think, you know, if you have a couple of successful interactions and can get folks comfortable that you really know what you're talking about, that you've done your homework and that you're clear about what you're trying to achieve, you know, those, those windows get bigger and you've kind of earned more time to, to be involved in things and to get your point across. So I, I think a big part of it is, is early prep, understanding people's perspectives, their experience, their objectives, making sure you understand where they're going to come at things from so that you can speak to the audience that you have. Yeah. Speaking to your audience, um, you know, is a very, very common theme that I hear a lot about, you know, it's as true in day-to-day interactions at any level, as it is certainly on interviews and when you're a candidate interviewing. But having the ability to speak different languages to different people is probably really important for you. I think it's critical. You need to do your homework, but you also have to be able to pivot when you start to get feedback, whether it's verbal or nonverbal feedback, to to make sure you're connecting. Right. I mean, I think one of the biggest downfalls is talking with a C-suite in your language that doesn't resonate with them. You, know, you have to be able to translate your world to theirs. Yeah, because at the end of the day, their world is the world that impacts your world. <laughs> it is. And, you know, it's, it's not their job to understand me. They are looking at things in a, in a 
different perspective and they need some, they need to be able to rely on their experts to help them do that easily without them having to understand, you know, how to speak with each of their experts. You have to do your research, as you said, to understand their perspective and understand what's driving them so that you're, as you said earlier, you're teeing up the information for them so they can make better decisions. Exactly. I mean, I look at the role I have as enabling them to be successful, right? Enabling them to make the best informed decision on behalf of the company. And that's generally a combination of sharing objective data points that are relevant, but then also being clear what my recommendation is and why I'm making it. So, you know, I want to make sure that I'm not pre-filtering the data for them, but I'm using that as a platform upon which I can make a recommendation that would be well thought out and hopefully very logical. Right. And hopefully uh, they see the virtue in that uh, conclusion that you're drawing. I hope so. And, you know, one of the things that I've also added, I think more recently, as we've had some changes in our leadership in the past couple of years with more folks coming from outside of GE to join the, the leadership ranks is to socialize my thoughts and some of the data in advance. You know, I think it's a lot easier for leadership that is relatively new to an organization to feel comfortable that when someone is making a recommendation, they're not making it in a vacuum. If there are other subject matter experts in the company, to speak with them first and make sure that folks are aligned on what a recommendation might be so that there is broader base of support for that recommendation than just one individual. Yeah, I guess it would be very difficult if you didn't read the uh, political tea leaves, if you will, ahead of time. Yeah, I mean, it's it just, I mean, imagine it if, if you're a new CFO or C- CEO or, or general counsel and someone's coming to you with a recommendation and you really, that person's new, you're relatively new to the role, you're not really sure, is that the best thing for the company? Is that would other people agree with that? But if the individual said, hey, I spoke with these three others, right, who are big stakeholders in this issue, and they're in agreement or in alignment with what I'm recommending, recommending, I think it just gives a, a, a comfort level earlier on that it's a well-balanced recommendation. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Great point. We're back with Pat O'Neill from Red Hand Advisors, continuing his story about his recent client engagement. After completing our needs analysis and system review, instead of recommending a new system, we proposed a plan to improve the usage of the existing system. Once we had agreement on the key priorities and desired results, we served as a liaison between the existing vendor, ensuring that both sides understood the goals and objectives and saw the project through to completion, saving the client significant time, aggravation, and money and thus avoiding going down the path of scrapping their current system and going through a lengthy implementation. To learn more about Red Hand, just visit our website at redhandadvisors.com forward slash key, and be sure to download your free copy of the Remus Report. It's got a wealth of great information. One other question I have for you is, you know, with respect to other risk managers who are in senior roles, Not everyone has a great relationship with their senior management. Not everyone has the kind of uh, opportunity to interact uh, in a more strategic way, you know, as compared to the way it sounds like you are. 
So what can, you know, from your view, what can risk leaders do to maybe uh, develop a more strategic relationship with their senior management? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it certainly can be challenging depending on the, the culture and, and the environment. But I, I think a good start is to make sure that you're, you're building a brand for yourself in the company that's broad-based, right? So collaborating with your counterparts that lead other global functions, finding out where you might be able to help them. Right, offering, volunteering to to do things, or where you feel like there's you have access to information or resources that may be valuable to them, introducing them to them to see if they think it's of value, and really starting to think outside your defined scope and build more of a of a, of a brand internally. You know, and I think that can help pave the way because. You know, folks talk and understand who they're interacting with and who, who's bringing value. And I, and I think that's a good start. And then, you know, really trying to understand what problems your leadership are trying to solve and to see if you can find ways to help contribute to that. While you were talking, I was thinking about how, you know, if you were starting a new job in a new company, you know, you'd be setting up all these meetings to get to know the, the key stakeholders, right? Yeah, I would hope. I mean, risk management can't function in, in a silo. No, not effectively, that's for sure. But, you know, this is sort of the mindset I think you have to develop, though. If you find that you're uh, maybe not being viewed as a strategic, valuable player in the process, then, you know, that's an opportunity for you to take a step back, I think, and say, okay, you know, um, how can you change the dynamic and how can you reinvigorate your brand? Absolutely. And maybe, you know, treating the role almost like you just got there and start to develop broader communication lines. Absolutely. You know, and, and, and I would think you'd, you'd want to anyway, periodically revisit how the role is positioned in the company because companies change and the value a role can bring is going to change over time, depending on the challenges the company has. And so, you know, being able to understand the direction it's going and, and, you know, how you might have to modify your areas of focus or areas where you can contribute. I think, you know, you're going to want to do that before someone asks you to do it. So, yes, yeah, so you really have to, you know, pay attention to what's going on around you. I think so. I mean, you know, there's a, that a healthy balance where you need to make sure that you're hitting your current deliverables, but you're also thinking about what capabilities you need in the future and, and what the challenges will be to make sure that you're positioned to be able to continue to, to contribute, you know, and, and it could be different. It could be making investments in technology or working on, you know, modifying the skill set within your team by bringing other people in or by getting people opportunities or enabling them to develop new skill sets. So, you know, I think it's no different than you know, strategic planning for a business. You have to understand what the future looks like just as much as the present. Yeah, and I also think it, it comes down to you know, asking the right questions in the right way. You know, sometimes people have a narrow view of what risk management can be in their company based on past experience. Mm -hmm. So it becomes a whole thing in terms of how you uncover where the opportunities can be. 
Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, I don't think you can ever get comfortable because I think it's constantly changing. Plenty of people over the years have made that mistake of, you know, getting a little bit complacent. You know, they know what they're doing every day and they think they know what the, what their management is looking for from them. And then, you know, there are these companies where, you know, the CFOs change, um, you know, or your, your manager, whoever that may be, turns over and now you have to start the process all over again. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I don't know that it should be viewed as a defensive thing. I think there's, you know, you're always going to want to reevaluate and, and reposition yourself to make sure that you're continuing to be a valued contributing member of the team and understanding the challenges the company's going through. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I agree. That's, that's totally key. We all, you know, whatever job we're in, I think it's important to think that way. Because, you know, even if you're on your way up in your career, you know, the same rules apply, frankly. Absolutely. You know, and I think when you look back on a long career, you start to realize along the way, there were a couple forks in the road that you came to, whether you expected them or not. And you made a decision that put you on a path. And, you know, it's, it's really important to understand when, when you're in a fork and what direction you might want to go and, and where you think your strengths will, will help drive you. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I would say that I've uh, introduced that fork to many people <laughs> over the years. Right. And it's not uncommon, frankly, for me to have conversations with people who are on a path, they're happy with the path, and now they're thinking about a new path. And, you know, how do you know which path is the right path? Well, it's 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 hard. And, and I've seen it even within my department. You know, if somebody leaves the department, I, I've seen others there very quickly raise their hand to say, hey, you know, I think I could do some of what they did. You know, let me help, which a, a leader always appreciates somebody offering. And, you know, it's an area where, you know, they have a new challenge and they can grow into and, you know, broaden their experience. And it goes back to the earlier point, you know, you just really, it, it's all about when you raise your hand. That's great. Everything uh, flows together from this, <laughs> right. from this conversation. It's interesting. And, you know, you're still doing that now, I bet. Yeah, no, absolutely. Whenever, you know, there's a new opportunity or a challenge or an area you think that you can add value, um, you know, I'm always trying to reposition us to, to kind of stay contemporary and thinking ahead. And, Knowing, knowing where we might add value before people have to ask us. Yep. So be proactive and, uh, and pay attention. Right. Right. Very, very critical. Very critical. Well, Stacy, this has been a great conversation. Lots of insight here for lots of different types of people, I hope. So I, I, think, uh, I think our audience will, uh, will appreciate having heard all of this. I thank you very much for your time. It's been great talking with you. Same here. Always great talking with you, Mike. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Should I Stay or Should I Go? Brought to you by Key Strategies LLC, the US insurance and risk management recruitment specialists. If you like the show, please be sure to subscribe, like, and leave reviews. Every time you do, it helps others find the show. And if you have any specific career-related questions, please post them or send an email directly to Mike at mtenenbaum at keystrategies.com. He may even answer your question on the show. When you subscribe, you'll also get notifications of when the next episode is available. Hope you join us next time.